Amen. Thank you, guys. Was that a good time of worship? Man, it's really cool when you're up here and you're, you're helping lead in that charge of, of leading the church in worship. It's really cool when you can feel everybody singing out to God in worship. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. Well, um, as, as Walter mentioned earlier, if you're here this morning and, and you're visiting with us, we welcome you here to Holmes Avenue. My name is Brian. I am uh, one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting, I welcome you and say thank you for joining us. Um, if you are visiting with us and you did get one of these, I, I ask that you would just fill out the little bottom tab, drop it in the um, offering plate up here after service. You can give it to one of us at the doors. Uh, just want to be able to reach out to you and say, hey, thank you for coming to uh, Holmes Avenue today and joining us for this time of worship. Um, also, if you are a person that calls Holmes Avenue home and you've maybe been praying or thinking about ways to get involved, to continue in service here and, and, and doing that, um, I ask that you would please tear off the tab, and if you feel led to serve in some capacity, fill out there that you're wanting to connect in one of those areas. Um, if it's not listed on there, that's fine. We can talk about some areas, but we do have some areas where we could um, love to have some people help serve. So if you are interested in that, please fill that out, give it to me, drop it in the offering box, and we will um, be good to go on that, and we'll follow up. Um, the past few weeks, have you enjoyed going through the book of Ruth? Yes. It's been awesome, has it not? Um, going week by week through it, verse by verse, seeing what God has done in this beautiful narrative um, between Ruth and Boaz and with Naomi. and It's just been so beautiful to see. And we, we've entitled this series, the, the Book of Ruth, The Coming Redeemer. And I pray that you have seen so far the projections of how it relates to us in the coming Redeemer of Christ Jesus. And if you haven't seen that yet, you're going to see it today. This is a, a very rich, beautiful chapter where Boaz redeems Ruth. It's powerful stuff. Um, last week when we concluded the series uh, on week three, concluded the week, excuse me, on week three, we left seeing Boaz and uh, Ruth on the threshing floor. And Ruth receives the six barleys from um, Boaz and goes back to Naomi. And it's a sign to Naomi uh, that Boaz has promised, I will redeem you as long as the relative closer to you does not want to do that because they had to follow the kinsman redeeming line and how they did things. And so we leave there and we're thinking, all right, let's see what happens. So with that said, I want us to just go ahead and dive right in to chapter 4 of Ruth. If you've got it, let's look down at it and read. Starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And they said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Verse 5, then Boaz said, the day, <clears throat> excuse me, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth, acquire Ruth, the Moabite, 
the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in the inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to another, gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite and widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of the native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephraim and in, be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and this may be his name, may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered excuse me, Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed Father Jesse, and Jesse Father David. May God add his blessings to reading of his word. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you that we have the opportunity to stand here together corporately, freely, and lift up the name of Christ Jesus and praise him in song, praise him in giving, praise him in prayer, and now praise him in your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, over these next few moments, that you would not have me be in the way, Lord. Remove me and you speak. Let me be your vessel, Father God. I am nothing but a weak, sinful man, Lord, that is saved by your grace and the blood that you shed at Calvary. So, Father, empower me, give me the words, and you be on display and you be glorified, Lord. Father, for our brothers and sisters meeting right here around us right now in the Park Circle community, I pray, Father God, that you would move powerfully through their services. Be with the men of God that are standing in their pulpit right now, Lord. Speak boldly through them and use your church, the big C church here in this community, to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. All right, so I've entitled this sermon today, The Blessing of the Redeemer. The blessing of the Redeemer. When we looked at last week in chapter 3, we, we looked at the rest of the Redeemer. And so this week I want us to see the blessing of the Redeemer and what the blessing it is for Ruth, for Naomi, 
but then also for us in the redeeming work of Christ Jesus. So with that said, there's a few things I just want to point out. Let's look at the first thing. If you have notes, you can jot these things down. The first is God uses us as part of his plan. God uses us as part of his plan. Look again at verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. So they're at this gate. What is the significance of the gate? During these times, the gate would be the place where they would go and they would settle business decisions. They would settle legal matters. So he's sitting there and he sees the Redeemer come by. This is the Redeemer, the closer relative than he that he talked about with Ruth. If you didn't get to see that or, or hear that, you can go online and listen to those during the past three weeks. But we see from last week that, that Boaz has said, there is a Redeemer closer than me. So if he's going to redeem you, good. But if he doesn't, I will do it. He makes her that promise. He says, I will redeem you. So Boaz is sitting there hanging out by the gate, and he sees that closer relative come by, that closer kinsman. And he stops him. He says, hey, ho, 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 behold, you're here. Come and sit down by me so that we can talk. In verse 2 he says, he took ten of the elders of the city, ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. What's the significance of those, the significance of those ten? Well, they had to have a quorum. They had to have enough people there to be able to make something come to be. So Boaz is sitting there, and he sees this closer relative, this closer kinsman to, to Ruth, and he says, hey, uh, can you come here for a minute? Uh, I want to talk to you about something. And verse 3 says, he, set to, he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And so he said, I will redeem it. Now Naomi sold this piece of land back when she left. She left town. You remember that from chapter 1? She was gone. So she has nothing to do with this land anymore. So she sold it. She's done with it. And throughout the time, things have come to pass, and Naomi, is, she's gone. She doesn't, I'm not planning on coming back. Well, as we know, she does come back after the famine has stopped. She comes back in, and there needs to be this redeeming process as we've established over the past few weeks. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to reference something here in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25. It says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So Naomi has sold off this property, okay? So this kinsman redeemer has to come in to get this land back, to be able to buy it back. So that's why they're, they're, they're discussing this thing about the land at this moment. Now there's something a little beautiful to see here. When I was doing some research for this, um, Danny Aiken, who is the uh, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological, where Walter and I are students, and Richie as well, um, he, he indicates here in his study for this the context of the word. He sees the word redeem listed in here between verses 4 through 7 ten different times. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, he would argue that there was 11 because you see where Boaz mentions buy it back. That is the same thing as redeeming. Why do I point that out to you? When I was going through my hermeneutics class with him, 
he would always make sure that he highlighted the fact that when you see a word said that many times, there is significance to that. Now, as we know from the, the sermon series title, The Coming Redeemer, and the things that have been preached these past few weeks, we know that the Redeemer, the redeeming aspect, is the theme, the overall arching theme of this. <coughs> Excuse me. So we see that it is said that many times throughout this passage. And Boaz says he is going to do it if the coming Redeemer, the one closer, will not. Now this, this closer Redeemer, he bites on it right away. He doesn't ask a bunch of questions. He doesn't say, well, let's see, um, can you tell me a little bit more detail? He just says, I'll buy it. I'll take it. I'll do it. <coughs> He says, I will do it. And what we're going to see here is it's a very selfish ambition of his to say, yes, I'll do it. He looks at it as a way of, I'm going to get something else for myself. Not once, not once has this closer relative come to ask anywhere that we've seen so far in Scripture, what about Naomi? Tell me a little bit about Ruth. Tell me about these women. Give me some details on them. No, he hasn't cared about that at all. He probably doesn't even pay attention to the fact of what is going on. But Boaz is pretty spot on and clear. He knows what is going on. He knows what he's pursuing and trying to do. Verse 5, Boaz then drops the bomb on this guy and he says, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also will acquire Ruth, the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He, he drops the bomb on this guy. Now, at being the closer redeemer here, this guy, he's not required by law to marry Ruth. He's not. We, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can jot this down in your notes and you can look at it later. Reference Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. That will show you that there isn't a legal binding that he has to do this. However, there is a moral obligation that he should marry her. Okay? So when Boaz tells him in verse 5, Hey, by the way, when you buy this land, when you buy the field, the hand of Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow from the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. By doing that, it's going to still do it to perpetuate the name, to make the name great of the one that has gone on before him. This is the process of what happened then. This is the kinsman-redeemer aspect. And so this guy, this closer relative who we don't know the name of, in verse 6 says, I cannot redeem it for myself, <coughs> lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. In other words, there's nothing in it for me. I don't want it. You can take it. Wait, I have to marry this Moabite? Nope, nope, I don't want it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Because, see, if he does redeem the field and he marries Ruth, she's a foreigner, she's a Moabite. That's not going to look right. So you have to do that. You have to pay for the land. You've got to marry her. You've got to see the property eventually go to maintain the name of Elimelech. There's nothing in him for that. So he doesn't want to do that. If he does buy the field, but he doesn't marry Ruth, there's going to come shame and disgrace. 
The people are going to look at it and be like, man, it was your, you, you weren't legally told to do this, but you should have done this. It was the moral thing to do. Why didn't you do it? He doesn't want to face that. The only thing that's good for him is to get his hands off of it. He says, hey, man, take it. Have at it. I don't want it. I don't need it. Take it. I give you the right to it. The verses 7 through 8 say, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. I just have to stop there. I love it when I'm reading through Scripture. I get these images of things that come to my mind. I'm picturing the scene. I'm picturing Boaz just kind of sitting there or leaning against something, and he's telling this guy this about, hey, if you get this land, you're going to, you know, you should marry Ruth, and she's a Moabite and all this stuff. And Boaz knows this guy probably isn't going to want to bite. So I just see him just like holding his sandal. Like, come on, man, go ahead and say it. Let's make this happen. Let's go ahead. Come on. Say, say you don't want it. All right, you don't want it? Cool. Here's my sandal. And he just hands it to him. And so he does it, and in verse... Eight says, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and, and to Malon. So he just says it. He says, hey guys, you're here. You're seeing this. He says he don't want it. I'm taking it. I want this to be mine. I want her to be mine. I want to redeem her. Now there's something interesting I want to mention that refers back to last week. Remember in Ruth chapter 3 verse 11 when he said, and now my daughter do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask and for the fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That was on the threshing floor. And Boaz told her after she has come in the night and waited out and did everything that Naomi said to do Boaz has heard her plea, her bargain, saying, hey, I I want you to be mine. I want you to redeem me. And Boaz told her, I will do this for you. Boaz keeps his word. I remember last week, it won't be on the screen, but I remember last week when at the end of the chapter in verse 18, Naomi tells Ruth, he will not rest until this is done. I remember when, when they left each other at the threshing floor, morning had just come up. And Boaz said, get out of here before anybody sees you so that nobody's saying anything about us or anything like that. And so as morning has progressed, that next day, Boaz is right on it. And he's doing this. Now why? Why do I highlight the fact that God uses us as part of his plan? Because in the beginning, in chapter 2, when Boaz and Ruth were there talking, he tells her, the Lord repay you for what you've done, and the full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's almost this prayer that Boaz has prayed over her, that God will do this for her. Boaz is now the fulfillment of that prayer. Boaz has now done the work that is necessary to redeem her. God used Boaz to make that prayer come to be that he prayed. Don't be surprised in your life, follower of Christ, if you proclaim him as Lord and Savior, if you come to a point where you are crying out to God for something to happen. 
And you're praying out to him saying, Lord, grant this, do this, do this work in our church, whatever it may be, and he uses you to fulfill it. Because if we are all in like we say we are and we say, Lord, I give you my life and I serve you and I give you everything, he's going to call us at times to do things. He's going to call us to stand up and be bold and move forward on things. We can't be in the way of it. We've got to say, yes, Lord, and go. And he will make these things happen. Beautiful stuff. Look again at verse 10. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of the native place. You are witnesses to this day. Verse 11 says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephraim and and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. There's a couple of different things that we see right there that these elders charge him with, pray, pray over him with, if you will. And they say, hey, we hope this for you. The first thing is to be like Rachel and Leah. Be fruitful in building a family just as these two women did for Jacob back in Genesis. They also say that you may act worthily and be renowned. Be greatly known. May your name be famous. And then the third reference there from, from verse 12, it refers back all the way to Genesis 38 when he references Perez when they reference the Fred, excuse me, in spite of the character deficiencies of both Judah and Tamar, God used Perez. Now, what is the difference here between the two of them? Judah and Tamar had some issues character-wise. But God is using Boaz and Ruth to do a mighty thing. Because this child that they're referencing that is to come is going to be the one that then goes down the divinic line that points to Christ Jesus as he comes to be our redeemer. This is rich stuff. And so God uses Boaz to answer his prayer. As I mentioned a few moments ago, he is willing to be the right person right there at the right time to do it, to redeem Ruth. Boaz says yes. Another thing I think that we can see here is that God's blessings blow away our expectations. God's blessings blow away our expectations. Have you ever stopped and thought to yourself, man, it'd be awesome if this went this way? Or said, man, you know, Lord, I would love to see something like this happen, and you just have this big expectation for what it is. And then when God does it, it just makes that thing look so small. He blows it out of the water. It's grander than anything we can imagine. Anything that we can say, man, this would be awesome if it was this. No, God takes things and knocks it, blows it out of the way, and does great, powerful works for His great name. His blessings are so rich. They're so good. And we see that His blessing for Naomi and Ruth is powerful. More than they could have ever expected. 
Verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Boaz and Ruth marry. They have relations. And it shows here that it looks like God has blessed them very quickly with a son. Beautiful. Because of what it is about to establish. Verse 14 says, The woman said, the women, excuse me, said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. These women are celebrating for Naomi because they see what God's done. She now has a grandson. This is Naomi who in chapter 1 was saying, I'm empty. I have nothing. I've lost it all. And because of God's redeeming work, she has now been fulfilled. She is no longer empty. She has this grandchild. Ruth has been steadfastly loving her the entire time. Ruth said over there in chapter 1, she said, I, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I want to follow your God. And I'm going to go with you. And so she stays with her. She shows her that love, that care, that nurturing. She loves her. When these women say this restore of life and the restore in your old age, it points specifically back to, as I just said, with the emptiness that she references in chapter 121. She says, I went away full in 121, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She says, Why? I'm empty, I have nothing. But these women here, they're, they're reminding her, hey, hey, you're, you're full. You're not empty. I love how it says there in, cha- in um, verse, uh, I just lost it, I'm sorry. Verse 15. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. That number there of seven. What does seven represent in Scripture? Perfect. Completion. It's been made complete for Naomi. Remember how last week we were referencing the fact of rest? That there would be this rest that would come for Naomi, this rest that would come for Ruth? Naomi is realizing the rest right now because of what the Redeemer has done. The beautiful thing is when we're faced in these moments where something like this happens and God just shows off and blows away our expectations, people want to celebrate. People want to praise God for what he's done. We see that here. These women are so excited for her. So excited for her. Verse 16 says, Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
17, the women of the neighborhood came and gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Abed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is beautiful. Naomi has got this grandchild. She's come alongside to help, to nurture this child. I think about this and I, and I, I try to picture Naomi's excitement because the rest that she has longed for has come in the Redeemer. I think about it too, the fact that she's a grandparent. Think about this grandparents in the room. It's, it's fresh for me because I, I see it now for the second time with my parents and Miranda's parents. But the joy that a grandparent has and that fullness they feel because of the love they have for that child. It's beautiful. Those of you in the room that have grandkids, have you, I'm, I'm sure you can attest to that. You know that feeling of that love, that nurturing. It's beautiful. The Lord has done this work, this redeeming work. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Here we see the picture of the redeeming work of God now pointing to Christ. Because of this child being born, Obed, because of the redeeming work that has happened between Ruth and Boaz, he becomes the father of Jesse, who's the father of David who we know is one of the greatest, the greatest king earthly in Israel. And he goes right down his line, which comes to Jesus. Which brings me to the last point. God's redemptive plan is simple and profound. God's redemptive plan is simple and profound. The genealogy of David is listed there. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. It's the royal ancestry of King David. Think about that for a minute. Had Boaz not done this for Ruth, there'd be no David. Oh, now, Brian, come on now. The sovereign work of God, it would have still worked out. I get what you're saying. But think about that for a minute. These two people, these two worthy people, everyday people, one of them is a Moabite. God brings them together and the child that comes from them, because of the redeeming work, is the grandfather of David, which goes right down to Christ. Beautiful. Not only does Ruth and Naomi receive, receive redemption because of the Redeemer, but we do as well. We receive the Redeemer in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman, Redeemer. He's ours. If you are in this room and you don't proclaim Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen up because this is very important. If you haven't listened to anything else, listen to this part right here. Jesus, 
would come down from this divinic line. This genealogy would come to Christ. This Christ would live the perfect life. He would be our kinsman redeemer because he was man. Fully God and fully man. As part of the kinsman redeemer process, he had to do certain things. Just like the kinsman redeemer would. He had to be part of the line. He's a man. He's just like us. The second thing he does is he has to be able to pay a price. Boaz purchased this land to be able to redeem Ruth. Jesus purchased us with his blood at the cross. We're in a very important week this week. And I pray you don't let this week go by without really stopping and thinking about what it means. Because on Friday of this week, it's what we refer to as Good Friday. For many of us, we're off of work. That's awesome. You're welcome. Just kidding. They work with me. But we get a day off. It's so much more than that. Because Good Friday is the day that my Savior was betrayed and nailed to a cross after he had been beaten, after he had been lied about, after he had been mocked, after a crown of thorns was smashed on his head. He went to a cross where nails were driven into his hands and his feet, where he gave up his life so that I could be redeemed, so that you could be redeemed. Next Sunday, we are going to stand in this church, granted a little longer than usual. It's going to be a longer service. It's going to be a time where we're just going to be singing our hearts out. But it's because we are celebrating the fact that Jesus didn't just get off the cross and be laid inside of a tomb and the stone be rolled in front. Jesus got out of that grave. Out of the grave. Because God's plan was not to stop at the fact that Brian's a sinner and I don't want him anymore. God's plan was, I love you enough that I'm going to send my son to be the perfect atonement for you, for your sins. And he's going to die, and he's going to get out of the grave, and I'm going to defeat death. And because of Jesus doing that in his redeeming work, my sin no longer separates me from God. Hallelujah. Jesus had to pay the price. And he had to be willing to redeem it. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many men, you can start to come forward. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. It's in the other Gospels as well. But Jesus says this to point the fact that, hey, I didn't come so you could serve me. I came so I could serve you. And I came so that I could give up my life for you. My prayer for you is that you have seen through these past four weeks, through the story of Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, this redeeming work has come to pass. They are redeemed. 
The line goes right down to Christ who then comes into the picture on the scene. Wrestles some feathers because people don't like it that he's proclaiming he's the son of God. Although he is. And gives up his life on the cross to where he is beaten and mocked and all of that. Because of his love for us. So wherever you are right here, right now, in this moment, if you're listening online, whatever it may be, find somebody that doesn't know Christ, that does know Christ if you don't know Christ. And ask them, what do I have to do to know this Jesus that did this for me? If you do know Christ and you need to pray, you need to talk, you need to ask questions, I'm here. I live right around the corner. We can stay and we can talk. But as we lead into this week, as we look to what Christ has done on the cross and what he did by beating death on Sunday of next week, I pray that you would evaluate your life and say, what do I need to know, do to know this Jesus? I'm here up front if you need me. The band is going to sing this last song. I'm going to pray first. Would you please bow your heads with me? Father God, thank you so much for what you've shown us over these past four weeks. By what you've shown us through the redeeming work of your sovereign plan through Boaz, Ruth, Naomi. Thank you, God, that you brought the two of them together to bring Obed, who would be the grandfather of David, who would eventually lead to Christ Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for what you've done at the cross. Thank you, Lord, that it didn't end there and you got out of the grave and you offer your salvation to us. Right now, Lord, as we sing this song, whatever you need to do, if you're drawing near to us, Lord, let us not be blinded by other things or thinking through other things, Lord. Let us receive what you are offering to us right now, Lord, which is the greatest gift we could ever imagine. Be glorified here in these few moments, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing this last song.